Okay. Okay. Okay, the recording has begun. Okay, um, I call this meeting to session at 5.40, and uh, we'll do roll call first. Is uh, Brenda will be joining us to do the roll call? She's here, so let's let's just give her a second. She might have to unmute oh, okay. herself. Okay, I think she may have muted her her mic. Uh, Brenda, if you can hear us, just press the start six, and that should mute your mic. I'm, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I'm starting roll call. Lucia Angel. Neha Banger. Here. B. Frank Walker. Here. Richard Harvey Jr. Louita Mellon. Here. Eric Murphy. Mark Smith. Here. Derek So. Here. Ali Yessing. Okay. All right, we have quorum. Hey. Great, so we can move on to the agenda items. So the first agenda item is the board chair report. Uh, and I don't believe we have any items under that for today. Um, we can then move to approve the minutes for the March 10th meeting of the co-applicant board. Uh, can somebody call the motion? Hello? Hello? Hello, uh, I move that the minutes be accepted. Okay, can I have a second? I second it. Okay, and all in favor, say aye. 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 <laughs> okay, the meetings for the March 10th, 2020 meeting of the co-applicant board are approved. Um, we can then move on to the item C, which is a Clinical Operational Response to COVID-19 Report by mm -hmm. the Medical Director, Dr. Damon Francis. Thanks so much. Sounds good. I'll, I'll raise my, I'll maybe raise my finger up or something like that. Um, yeah, the, the quorum's five, but I'm sitting here in the room with Heather recording and there's an echo, so it sounds like there were so many eyes for that, like people were really excited about the minutes. So we thought we would we would start um, by just uh, contextualizing, you know, what's happening at Alameda Health System um, in response to the COVID-19 um, pandemic, um, since that's really just taken over, I think, all of our lives. Um, and that it would make sense to talk about the rest of what we're doing in the context of this. This is a presentation that um, our Board of Trustees received uh, last week. And so 
um, we're going to try to approximate that presentation for you. Um, so I think as, as all of you know, um, the uh, CDC, California Department of Health, um, have declared this to be a public health emergency. Um, and as a result of that, the Alameda Health System Incident Command Center was activated. So there's an operating structure that's very specific to um, emergency responses, whether they're pandemics or other types of responses um, that gets activated that allows us to move really quickly and to stay kind of constantly ready. And um, that structure was, was activated in February and is operating currently inside the system. So I can describe a little bit of what that what the experience of that is like for us in Alameda Health System uh, for you all. I think there's some more slides coming up that will kind of help you get a sense of that. Uh, go ahead. Oh, there's my finger. There you go. I'm not, oh, there we go. So, um, so in part, uh, part of it is just uh, changing the communication structure, a big part of it. So we have a coronavirus resource page on the intranet. And this resource page has everything our staff needs to think about, you know, how do we care for our patients differently? Um, how do we um, care for ourselves differently? Obviously, the, the you know, infection is a threat to, um, to staff as well. Um, and day-to-day um, -day updates, even hour-to-hour -hour updates and as information changes um, over the course of the epidemic. So we have this intranet um, site that's maintained so that people can be constantly aware of you know, the latest policy and procedure changes here. We have a command center that issues these daily COVID-19 alerts. Um, it's a really useful communication structure. I almost think we should do it all the time. And Catherine probably is on the phone, like cringing to hear me say that, but um, I feel really well updated as to what is happening. Um, you know, in the morning we get a, we get a note and um, we understand on the basis of that alert so much about what's happening in, in the epidemic. Um, you know, what's going on inside of Alameda Health System right now with regard to the number of people who are infected, who we're taking care of, what's happening in terms of, you know, employee policies and procedures, and then also like what's on the horizon, what is the planning currently about. Um, a lot of that's been focused on surge planning um, really recently, thinking about if we, um, if the hospital needs to take on uh, a lot of new folks, um, where will we put people? How will we do the staffing for that? Um, and we've also done some of that same planning inside of the outpatient ambulatory structures that are that are the part that we're responsible for as a homeless health center, um, thinking thinking more about. Um, we have uh, additional communications from our leadership, so a weekly desktop chat with the CEO, weekly conversations um, with all of the ambulatory staff, um, and then obviously we're staying very closely in touch with the public health response um, through the state of California the guidance issued by the Centers for Disease Control and um, uh, Alameda County Public Health Department as well. <laughs> I'm late on my finger. I think Alex is picking up faster than I can remember that, that we should change the slides. Um, so this is, a, this is just a little bit more detail on what the daily update looks like. Um, these are updates on you know supplies, including personal protective equipment. I think everybody knows now in the whole world what PPE stands for. Um, and uh, you know, a really critical part of the part of the response. It's a guidance for employees and providers that uh, changes really frequently. You know, things like how do you clean the exam room um, after you see a patient, um, and how do you clean the exam room differently if you see one kind of patient versus another kind of patient based on based on uh, you know your suspicion of the, uh, whether they have the virus or not. Um, what we're doing around triaging patients and surge preparation. 
Um, as I said, the current active status, what we're doing around visitation and staff safety. So these updates are really, really useful um, and uh, a really important way that uh, we're ensuring that all the staff stay informed about what's happening. Hold, don't answer yet. Um, hold on. <laughs> I'll have him repeat it. I was trying to reduce your um I was trying to reduce the, the echo. I don't have current access on a regular basis. So uh, so I haven't seen any email that you guys might have sent out recently about this issue, but I will definitely take a look. Hey Mark it's, it's on the AHS, you know, your not your personal email, but the one through Alameda Health System. That's where all oh, the on Alameda Health System. Yes, that's where all the updates come through. Okay. And, you know, I, I think this is, uh, I'm glad that Mark actually asked that question. I do want to remind everyone that uh, the communications that are sent, these uh, COVID-19 updates are confidential, and we're not allowing uh, any type of dissemination outside of our entity. The reason being is that, you know, there are several things that uh, there are ongoing changes as far as our practices that are guided by, you know, recent uh, guidance from regulatory and enforcement agencies. Um, may I have a clarification of that? Does that, um, are you saying that um, that is on a need to know basis or uh, we are privy to that information but are not allowed to disseminate it otherwise? The latter. So yeah, you guys are privy to that information but we can allow the redisclosure of that outside of the organization. Okay, well, that's totally understandable. Right, Hi, this is Heather. I just, um, I have to ask for a little repeat. I was trying to work with the audio to not have too much echoing for Damon, which means that I missed the first part of Mark's question. Mark, would you be willing to summarize? I did catch it on the recording for the ending. But are uh, you yes, I was simply asking whether or not we had, uh, whether or not us as board members have privy uh, to the information, um, the action information regarding COVID-19 and how um, AHS is handling it and whether or not we are privy to that information. And um, then I was told yes, um, but of course uh, that is uh, to remain confidential, which is totally understandable and uh, not to be um, disseminated or talked about um, out outside of our group. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. That was for the... Uh for the recording specifically. Um, Neha, I also just noticed that another board member has entered the room. Do you want to acknowledge Eric Murphy? Yes, uh, I acknowledge, uh, the board acknowledges that Eric Murphy has joined the CAB meeting. Great, great. great. I'll just uh, uh, keep going with the presentation. So, so um, um, this is just a list of the important contact, contact numbers, numbers again. again. Uh, you know, I think you're getting the sense of how much we've ramped up communication about this, um, how much we need to be able to respond to changing situations, answer employee questions, um, you know, answer media questions. Uh, and so we have um, ways of all that happening that are, that are active that we're definitely participating in as a homeless health center, which we'll talk about more in the, in the specific update for us. Um, 
you know, I think any opportunity as a physician, as a public health practitioner to talk about reducing the spread of COVID is great. This part you can absolutely share with people. Um, these are the steps that, uh, that um, we're highlighting to everyone we're talking to that are important to uh, prevent further spread of COVID. And I think before um, we started talking, you know, we heard from, from before we formally started the meeting, um, some of the conversation with Derek was about um, what's happening in encampments. Um, you know, we're also working a lot in shelters. It's very difficult to actually follow a lot of this guidance. Um, but um, certainly want you all to know, um, you know, to cover your mouths and noses when you're coughing or sneezing, make sure you wash your hands often with soap and water use a hand sanitizer that's at least 60% alcohol. Um, avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Um, you can tattle on me if you see me doing it over the course of this meeting. I do it a lot and I'm trying to break the habit. Uh, avoid close contact with people who are sick. Stay home if you're sick. This, the re reason we're having this meeting this way, obviously, is to comply with the uh, public, public health officer's order for um, social distancing and to uh, frequently clean and disinfect objects and surfaces. Um, so um, just making sure that we're pushing out that message, that you all are pushing out that message, and, um, and that we're thinking about what are the ways that you have to think about how to do this if, you're, if you don't have a place to stay at night, if you're living in a shelter. Um, so we'll talk more about that in the rest of the presentation. I think that's the last one here. Is it? Oh no, there's, sorry, there's more. Um, just this is updating folks that we have changed visitation policies to comply with the shelter in place order. We've limited points of access to the facility. Um, you can see some pictures of, of some of those limitations on the next slide. Uh, man, I'm, I'm getting the slide orders wrong in the next couple slides. Uh, our, our supply situation um, is part of uh, what we have to manage very, very closely in order to comply with these orders. So, um, you know, we're ensuring that we have enough masks, enough gowns, enough um, hand sanitizer to serve the staff. We have a dashboard actually that updates on a daily basis to track the availability of this across our institution. You can imagine, imagine with all the different types of activities we do, the guidance can get very specific. So I think there's, I think there's actually a picture of that on the next slide. Yeah, so this is an example of some of the guidance. These pictures are actually, almost as soon as you put one up, they're outdated, you know, because the availability of the, the personal protective equipment changes, the guidance changes, um, the basics are what's most important. You know, I think we've done a really good job as a system um, ensuring that people are social distancing, ensuring that they're washing hands, and then the particularities of which masks and which contexts, um, you know, we're, we're evolving as the guidance evolves and as our long-term availability of, of uh, personal protective equipment evolves. This is the, th the slide that I thought was coming next about uh, limiting the points of entrance. So we actually have in each of our emergency rooms um, a tent that's been set up to help screen people outside of the facility um, to keep the patients safe, ensure that um, that you know we know what the risk is for the people who are entering of having COVID and potentially spreading COVID, and that we're doing things to manage that across our ambulatory care system. I think as we talked about last meeting, we've moved to really doing most of the visits telephonically, but of course we still do need to have people who are able to come to the facility to receive care, and uh, these tents are ensuring that we can do that safely. Um, it, oh, go ahead. May I ask a question real quick um, to uh, Brenda and Heather? Uh, in the next email that you sent, send, uh, for, um, uh, the next um, email that you send of minutes for, for this meeting, for this particular meeting, 
will you uh, will you um, include uh, the actual uh, slides that um, Damon is uh, is talking about because I can't see them um, because of lack of a lack of a, uh, internet connection um, for this meeting. So is it possible that those pictures or slides can be included in uh, next month's minutes? Mark, uh, the, these slides are already included in this month's uh, board package. So if oh. you have, when you get access to that, uh, the, all of these slides are already available to you. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Great, I think Great. we're coming to the end of this presentation. This is just a reminder about um, how much community support we're getting. It's really been outstanding. I think one of the um, alerts over the last couple of days um, reproduced some handwritten notes that we've gotten from people that were just really touching. Um, you know, reaching out to the frontline staff, saying that they're with us, they're supporting us. Um, of course, we're getting, you know, in addition to those kinds of notes, material support of supplies. I had a patient I saw today at AIC who actually had sent us a box of uh, masks that he had stored in his house. Um, and, uh, you know, our staff were really appreciative. It almost kind of brought us to tears that he, he was thinking of us in that way. Um, so these are the places you can uh, obviously refer folks to our foundation who have, um, who have supplies or money, obviously, to, to donate to the efforts here. And then some more resources for you know the external website and uh, what are in our internet site for this. Question. Um, question to Damon. Um, just out of curiosity, um, what is the status of PPEs? Um, are we um, are we okay, or um, are, or other steps are going to be need to be taken in order to make sure? Uh, that you guys have the protection that you need. For now, for now, the reports, uh, reports seen are that we're doing okay on PPE, and we're projected to do okay on PPE, which is again personal protective equipment. I think you know the we're sharing as a whole world right now. Um, I talked to a friend. I had a, a board meeting myself uh, for another organization on Monday, and uh, she's in Mexico, and they're struggling with PPE, and so. Part of what we need to think about is where PPE needs to go, you know, across the entire world and across the entire country and across the entire state. Um, but as of right now, the reports inside our institution are that we're, we're doing well. Any other, Any other questions? questions? Yeah, I just have one other. Um, the fact is, is our, our, our main, our main, um, um, the, the patients that we the, the patients that we serve, which are primarily um, quote unquote, are homeless. Um, not not all of them, of course, but a, a, a good a certain portion of them are. Uh, and of course, uh, it, it, in some cases, of course, they're re, they're required or they they have a need uh, to come to the clinic. Um, how is the clinic? Um, Dealing with social distancing as it as it uh, relates to uh, patients who have to actually come on site and social distancing in terms of uh, the waiting room. That's a great question. So, um, you know, I think part of your question is implying what what we've talked about before, which is we are 
um, screening patients ahead of time to figure out who can get the care that they need telephonically and trying to do everything possible to support people without putting them at risk by coming into the facility. Um, and um, I've actually gotten um, referrals from the, um, the nurse triage line for people experiencing homelessness to help them get into isolation hotels. So we've actually been able to really maximize access through the phone system. I'm really proud of, of uh, the protocols we've developed and, and the fact that you know, people even by phone are able to make these assessments, um, able to talk about these sensitive issues over the phone and get people uh, supports. Of course, you're absolutely right that we still need to provide in-person in service uh, to be able to do some really critical things. And in those cases, we have uh, protocols for screening at the front desk, protocols for screening once you get into the back office, protocols for the um, providers before they go in the room to think about things, and then obviously protocols for people to, to you know, put on the appropriate um, protective equipment, give the patients themselves the appropriate uh, protective equipment. So we're, we have an abundance of caution and, um, and are absolutely able to accommodate people in person. Our mobile clinic is, um, is scheduled this week to um, to provide care at one of the sites that um, has people who are suspected of having COVID, and um, we've done extensive training and drilling as a team, including walkthroughs of you know how to wash your hands appropriately, how to don and off the PPE that we're supposed to um, take on and put off, take take on and take off, and how to keep the exam rooms clean. You know we've done um, a lot, a lot of work to make sure that everybody feels as safe as possible and change the processes and procedures um, and, and practice them, not just talk about them, but practice them in order to keep everybody safe. Does the mobile clinic have access to the rapid response test? We do not uh, as a clinic have access to that yet. Um, we do as a uh, institution, we are bringing online access to the rapid test. We do not, as of today, um, we did not have the rapid test, but. It could change, you know, I might be wrong in two hours even. Um, I know that the county has actually um, said that um, Alameda Health System will receive one of the rapid uh, testing machines. And I believe that we're waiting on, on uh, the cartridges for that right now to begin testing. Oh, that's great. That's good news. So just, um, just out of curiosity, um, um, two part question. One is, um, do you have existing testing right now, and how's that going? And the other one is, uh, there's been a lot of talk uh, nationally about um, one company that produces a, a machine um, that basically sterilizes actual masks, uh, negating the, um, the negating the reason for people having to have uh, multiple supplies of masks because they can because with this machine they can sterilize existing masks and has anybody looked into that or is that something you think that's even viable uh, given uh, our current situation um with regard to the first question around testing, um, the, the testing requirements are really just uh, to stick to symptomatic populations right now who are at high risk of uh, being part of transmi ongoing transmission. So either people in healthcare facilities or in congregate facilities or people for whom, you know, knowing the result of a test is gonna change what we do about their clinical situation. Um, regarding the second uh, question, I think it hasn't been relevant for us as a system and so 
I'm waiting to hear more from you know our experts inside of Alameda Health System about whether you know whether and how we'll take advantage of things like sterilizing PPE. Um, but at this point in time, it, it hasn't been relevant for us yet. Okay. <laughs> Great. I think, Great. I'll, I think I'll move on to the medical report, which is also going to going to say a lot about COVID and, and really just focus more specifically in on the homeless population. But I thought it would be useful actually to start with the broader picture, um, just because it's changed so much about the environment that we're operating in um, before talking about what what the response has been specifically for um, for COVID in um, you know the population of folks who are living in encampments who are. Um, who are living in shelters um, and who are who are housed uh, insecurely. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd start with just telling you a couple stories about uh, folks that we've seen. I always like that when I'm on the the other board that I'm on, when people actually talk about the, the people that we serve and kind of try to try to bring it home. Um, so you all have heard, I think, in the news, and we were talking about this before the meeting opened, that the the state has actually master leased some hotels to help us find places to, um, to allow people to recover who have symptoms of coronavirus and may, um, and, you know, may as a result of having coronavirus spread to other folks but don't have a place to isolate themselves as, the, um, as folks who are, ho who are housed would be able to you know, isolate themselves in their home. And so um, Alameda Health System was part of developing the protocols for um, how, to, how to care for those folks. And I was on site the day that um, the county was making the decision about whether to, uh, whether to go live on that day or not. And um, you know, as you can imagine, we didn't have the program perfectly set up, um, but you know, the, vi the virus moves fast and we're in a race against it. We need to be able to do things to contain the virus before it spreads um, as quickly as possible. And one of the things that was identified that was a challenge was um, we didn't really know, you know, how transportation was going to go for the first client, for the first guest of the um, of the hotel. We didn't really know if there were going to be infection control issues coming up, and so um, the the leaders of the social services agency, healthcare services agency, wanted a physician to accompany um, the first uh, guest. So I had the privilege, really, of uh, of escorting the first guest into the isolation hotel um, a few weeks ago. And um, it was a woman who was in one of our shelters, had gone to be evaluated to a clinic for symptoms where they couldn't test her um, because she wasn't gonna be admitted. At that time, the testing criteria were so narrow. It was only for folks who were actually coming into the hospital. But the shelter was really concerned. They couldn't keep her apart from other people, so they wouldn't let her back in. So um, the, she was gonna stay in a motel that evening with a voucher, um, but um, didn't really have a plan for after that. And uh, the, the team from another one of the community clinics called us. And um, so I got on a bus that was covered in plastic and had the, you know, the driver covered in plastic, had only two seats blocked off so that everyone would be socially distanced from everyone. And we drove out to Oakland and um, picked up this guest um, she was, uh, you know, walking slowly, breathing hard, um, and looked a little bit bewildered, uh, but really um, was really glad to see us, obviously, and, uh, and we drove back to the hotel and nothing went wrong at all. We didn't need a doctor at all, uh, which was good news because then we could do this, you know, repeatedly. Um, and she was able to be, um, you know, taken in and, um, and stayed at the hotel. I actually saw her out on the sidewalk dancing the next day, um, so I knew, you know, it was a, a much better outcome for her at least. Um, 
you know, another story on the other side of things is I got a call, one of the calls I got from the nurse triage folks um, was a gentleman who um, was living in a garage. He um, had a, a, a roommate in the garage who was quite sick um, and uh, coughing, had mouth sores, had a fever, had a headache, his roommate did, and he had started to have to develop a cough. And, um, and the nurse triage um, astutely identified that he was actually classified as homeless. He's living in a place not meant for human habitation. So not just by our criteria at the Homeless Health Center, by the HRSA criteria, but also by the more stringent housing and urban development criteria of homelessness, he, he could be categorized as homeless. And he made a referral to me to refer to the isolation shelter. Um, and unfortunately, he was concerned about losing his situation in the garage if he went to the isolation hotel. And so even though he was a perfect candidate to come with us to the hotel, um, he chose to actually stay in the garage where he was staying because he didn't have another alternative after. And these hotels do not you know, guarantee a, a placement in permanent supportive housing afterwards. So um, I think as all of you, you know, understand, because you, you know this crisis that we had before the crisis so well, um, you know, we, we continue to have that existing crisis of homelessness in our, in our community. And the isolation hotels are really you know, a, a drop in the bucket for the solution that we need. I, I very much agree with a lot of the sentiments Derek was sharing before the, before the meeting opened uh, around that. Um, I have a question. He, he, hold on just a second. Um, to, to, to Damon, um, one question. Uh, hey, sorry, Mark, I, I think Heather is just asking you to hold off till uh, Dr. Francis is finished with the report. Is that right, Heather? He, thank you so much, Neha. I also wanted to acknowledge that Eric Murphy has raised his hand, and so I wanted to try to put some order to the how we're going about speaking up. So since Eric had his hand raised, I wanted to give him an opportunity to speak, and then I would say after that, oh, we'll, I'm sorry, we'll take I, I can't see anybody. I, so. I know, it's okay, Mark. It's so okay. I, I apologize. We're, we're gonna get you next. So, so Eric? Uh, actually, I was just trying to see what page we were on because I kind of tuned in a little late. No worries. Thanks for asking. We're on the medical director report, but there's no additional documentation that goes along with that. So, but that's where we're at. Oh, okay. So there's no page number. Uh, page two on our agenda shows the medical director report as the item. So, so that's where, where I'm at just with the agenda and we've already done A, B, and C. Thanks, Eric. Okay, Mark, you're up. Okay, no, I was uh, boy. Now I'm trying to remember what the question was. Um, um, uh, you'll have to pass me by because now I don't remember what the question was. But but uh, but, but but go ahead. Maybe it'll come back to me. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I uh, so so just starting from those stories, then I want to kind of talk about the response uh, that we've been a part of in, in, um, in the community. Um, so overall, so far from the testing we've been able to do, there are about 800, as of today, I think 850, 860 people um, who we know have um, coronavirus in Alameda County as a county. Um, obviously, the number is much higher than that because we're not able to test you know, the, the broad population um, people with not many symptoms. 
Among those 860 folks, the county is reporting that less than 10 are experiencing homelessness. Um, among that less than 10, um, we've been able to verify as a program that it's you know, somewhere under five that we can verify are experiencing homelessness among the cases. Now again, we know that among people experiencing homelessness, just like in the community as a whole, there are you know, more people out there who are infected with the virus, but we haven't necessarily been able to test them and find them. But I think what we can say is that a lot of what we're doing as a community um, has been working pretty well to keep the virus at least from you know, spreading as, as we're seeing in other communities like San Francisco. Um, so the way, the way I've thought about our response is that both the virus itself and the shelter in place order have really changed what it means to provide services to people experiencing homelessness and to be and to be homeless. Um, so you know, on the streets and encampments, um, you know, the 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 organizations that provide food, that provide water, that provide places to use the restroom, places like libraries, drop-in centers, many of those places um, have been forced to close or to dramatically restrict their hours. And it's really, um, it's really dramatically changed the availability of things to meet basic needs like hygiene and, and um, you know, food and water in the encampments. And that's been a really big uh, challenge for people. Um, and so uh, part of our response has been geared toward um, trying to coordinate with uh, county, you know, county um, agencies like social services agency and environmental health and the cities um, within, um, within Alameda County 14 cities to um, to be coordinated in terms of ensuring that we have some organizations that are ramping up meal delivery and ramping up water delivery and hand hygiene stations and those kinds of things um, in the in the shelters um, the challenge has been um, social distancing um, in order to um, limit the spread right it's just changes the baseline operation of homeless shelters so now people have to stay six feet apart Whereas previously, a lot of the way that you would design a shelter is to get as many people in it as possible. Now, the way you design a shelter is to keep people six feet apart. Um, so that means there's less capacity. Also, you know, typically homeless shelters um, will have high turnover, right? During the day, people are, are asked to leave for most shelters in our community um, during usual times. Now, during shelter in place, they're staying in shelters um, all day long. The staffing of shelters is often volunteers, often it's retired volunteers. Um, as you know, the, the COVID epidemic has required folks to take care of their own families, required people who are over 65 to shelter in place. Um, the staffing has been strained at the same time as the shelters need more staffing to be able to do screen, symptom screening and, and um, to be able to um, set up the shelters to do social distancing. So um, the shelters, you know, similar to the street outreach providers just at baseline just because of covid because of um and because of shelter in place have been severely challenged you know without even thinking without even starting to think about what are we going to do as part of the public health response um so that's really been been the baseline kind of situation that we're seeing in the community and then in terms of the response you know what you need to do to prevent uh transmission of the virus is really um, isolate people who are infected, which means keeping them away from um, other people so they don't infect other people. You need to quarantine people who may have been exposed but aren't yet showing symptoms. It's the same idea as isolation, but you use a different word because those folks aren't infected yet. And then for the rest of us, you know, one of the more extreme orders that I think 
you know we haven't seen since 1918 is to shelter in place to stay stay where you are and not not leave your house and so the the response really has demanded that we start to develop um, these places for people to isolate and that's been a big thrust of um, the county-led response and the partnership request that we've had about the health system is to set up um, number one a shelter called operation comfort where people who need to be isolated, who are suspected to have the infection, can go. Um, and then number two, to set up a, um, a hotel called Safer Ground, which is a place where people who have high risk of complications, were they to get infected? So people, for example, who are elderly or have you know multiple chronic illnesses like heart failure and asthma and diabetes, or maybe are on chemotherapy, um, where they can go and make sure that they're in a safer place where they're less likely to get infected. Um, so we've developed two of those hotels as a county so far. Alameda Health System is providing mobile health services already. So our mobile van is um, going to those sites. Um, both Wanda and myself have supported clinical screening um, to help people enter those sites. Um, Wanda Johnson is our nurse practitioner on the van, who I think um, most of you know. Um, and um, you know, we're, we're very proud of the work that we've done and we have um, somewhere around 150 or so people out of, you know, at least 8,000 and probably more like 10 to 12,000 HUD homeless people on the streets. So we know that it's just a drop in the bucket, um, you know, and we need to, we need to continue to build, um, as a community, we need to continue to build more of these locations. We also know that many of the folks that we've referred, like the second gentleman that I told you all about, um, are not able to go for one reason or another. And so we need to make sure that we've created the conditions where people can be as safe as possible when they're in the encampments, as safe as possible when they have to remain in shelters. Um, and so, you know, we're part of, of uh, um, myself in particular, part of advising the county on how to think clinically about, about those kinds of questions. Um, and then the second part of the response, um, you know, beyond creating you know, real mechanisms to isolate and quarantine people and do the contact tracing and disease follow-up is to actually do testing. And that's a place where we live in a county that, um, that does, not have, does not operate its own um, clinical services, um, unlike most of the counties around us. And that means that we at Alameda Health System, our community health centers in the area, are really going to be the main sources of um, Tech clinical testing for this virus, and we're going to need to be enlisted in the public health response. And so, as of Thursday this week, um, it's our plan to add to our mobile health service our ability to um, to provide testing of people experiencing homelessness, starting out at the isolation shelters where you know we know we have folks who have symptoms and who have been evaluated and are are very likely to have the virus. Um, so we'll start off with me as the clinician doing that testing, and then. Try to um, try to ramp up a program so we can increase the, the availability of testing, both for people experiencing homelessness and for the the broader community. I think I'm really proud that this is a place where our homeless health center is um, leading in the development of something that will then become useful for the rest of the community. So people experiencing homelessness are getting the best service first, and then we're gonna you know roll it out to everybody else. Um, and that feels that feels really great to be part of an effort like that. And, and so well supported by the institution, honestly. People are very excited about that, um, bending over backwards to make um, resources available for us around testing, um, around infection control support. Um, so um, it does feel like a place where we're, we're you know, it's, uh, 
I always want more and I always want faster, but, um, but I do feel proud of what, of what we're, we're able to accomplish inside of that. Um, and with that, I'll, I'll end my comments, take more questions, and then I can um, hand it off to Heather for the next session. Well, Damon, I do remember uh, my question that's turned into kind of a two-fold question. Uh, when you were mentioning earlier, um, this is Mark again, um, when you were mentioning earlier about the hotels, um, my question is, once you've identified somebody who needs to go into that environment, um, are, are there people, um, are there medical, uh, any kind of medical personnel that are visiting uh, these these vulnerable um people that are in the hotel once they're placed there uh, to assess where they are in terms of the disease, number one. And my second question is, um, is there any impetus or any kind of um, policy regarding uh, um, what I like to see happen is, uh, if it's not happening, is um, to actually find out, uh, to actually take uh, surveys regarding the racial disparity of the disease? Yeah, I appreciate both those questions. Um, the first one, um, so there are a number of clinical supports in place. Um, the county has um, a pharmacist who works with their Healthcare for the Homeless program and a physician who's a, a volunteer. Um, actually, he's a staff member of Alameda Health System on sabbatical. Harrison Alter, one of our ER physicians, who's been um, really incredibly helpful in, uh, in the, I don't know what they would do without, um, without Harrison, honestly. Um, so they're doing the medical screening and they've been doing a lot of um, the initial clinical assessments um, and providing the initial clinical support for the small numbers of folks who, there, or who are there. Once we've gotten over 30 or 40 people, it's, you know, it, it, it was already known that it was gonna be this way, but it's become really clear that we need to have more institutional clinical care provided, and that's where we've been asked as Alameda Health System to provide that care. So, um, as I said before, it may not have been clear. We we will we we have been on site already. Um, myself and Wanda, as clinicians, the mobile health team evaluating the the site. We will bring the actual mobile van there this Thursday, um, and then we're going to continue to have an ongoing presence um, at the at the isolation hotels trying to maintain our commitment to you know, other folks in, in the rest of the shelter population and trying to think also about, you know, as an entire clinical system, we had a call with all of the ambulatory leaders thinking about how, how do we reach out to all of our populations with chronic illnesses, including people experiencing homelessness who aren't necessarily you know, at these sites too. So we're trying to balance the need you know, for our small team to, to be working and thinking about all of those groups, but absolutely we'll be on site there. Um, your second question, uh, has come up quite a bit, actually. Um, I've, I've raised it myself um, with the county several times. Some of the criteria for entry into, um, into safer ground, which is that facility that's for people who are higher risk um, than, uh, higher risk of having complications of COVID. Um, you know, I was concerned about um, whether those criteria would reinforce disparities since we know that many of these algorithms that you know, are put in place often do that and for reinforce racial disparities. Um, I, had, I, I had a couple concerns, one around the African-American population, a separate concern that because the coordinated entry list, which is a list that you, know, you have to go through a fairly rigorous assessment process that in, that's involved in connecting to institutions, it, it tends to under include um, in particular immigrants and especially undocumented immigrants, but really the whole immigrant community. 
Um, they've done an analysis already of those two populations. African Americans in the priority population for safer ground um, have are actually at the same rates as they are in the broader homeless population within the homeless count. So there isn't any data evidence that we've um, that there are going to be any disparities there in terms of who the population is selected. We haven't looked at the back end implementation data, but um, we will be looking at that data and, and doing our best to ensure that we're not reproducing those disparities that we know, um, you know, really affect African Americans. Ten percent of the population overall, fifty percent of people experiencing homelessness, roughly. Um, so, so we'll keep an eye on the African American population. The counties acknowledge that. Um, for immigrants and particularly undocumented immigrants, um, that the process really has not it is is not likely to be fair. I think the they're thinking actively thinking about what are the ways that we can make this better. Unfortunately, a lot of the um, government based responses um, that are coming from the federal and the state levels, um, you know, categorically exclude um, you know many many recent immigrants, not just undocumented immigrants. From receiving some of the benefits, and so that's a population that I'm uh, particularly concerned about, and um, and I think we're particularly well set up to pay attention to, you know, based on our partnerships in the community and based on on the things that we think about. So I really appreciate that question, Mark. Thank you. I wanted to thank you for the detail that you've provided and especially the stories that you've, uh, the real life stories that you've told us as well that really put sort of a face to do all of this at, at this level. So I really appreciate hearing all of that. Oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, Damon, can I ask one other question or a general question? Um, the, 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 the report that you're giving, um, that you're giving now, is that something that uh, we as board members can possibly um, have a submission of or at least a, um, a, a writ written copy of, of, of uh, your report? Yeah, I'm happy to draft a little, uh, a couple paragraphs. I'll probably leave the patient stories out, but just, uh, but just uh, draft a couple paragraphs to give you guys an overview of, of what's going on. We, uh, we, we had intended to do that to include in your packet, and as you can imagine, uh, things get busy in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> but I can definitely, I can definitely draft a couple paragraphs to try to summarize this, and we have a couple slides that may be helpful that we've produced for other, for other venues. News. Okay, great. Hi, I think Loretta has her hand up. Loretta? Yes, yes, thank you. Damon, what, um, what is your plan actually to um, go into the, community, the Hispanic community and um, get information out to them? Are the health workers doing this or how is that being dealt with? Um, I don't have a good answer, unfortunately, to your question. Um, I know that um, our partners are focused on this. Unfortunately, some of our partners who are most connected to this community, um, like the Multicultural Institute, have actually reduced their services because of the, um, because of the pandemic. Um, I know that other elements of our system, same-day clinic, uh, some of the care management teams are actively looking into resources. Our health advocates um, are actively looking into resources for this population. I've actually um, recommended, we've had a couple conversations with our foundation that this be um, one of the um, focus areas for the foundation to think about um, focusing on because I think 
the the need is just so 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 much greater than um, than what we're able to provide and um, and uh, I, I think uh, yeah I think there's a lot more that needs to be done I do know that um, within the healthcare for the homeless program in the county um, that um, one of the staff members has been um, has been working to you know partner with um, with you know providers across the central county northern county especially on um, on thinking about a, a particular response but I think the one of the major challenges is just the, in, the available the availability of institutional resources to plug into and especially you know that that um, second gentleman whose story I told was uh, you know he's an immigrant um, and um, part of his you know living situation was about staying away from institutions and, and staying away from support and so it's just a really hard challenge any ideas you all have please send them our way you know um, I think that it is something that we need to have um, as robust a response to as we can think of yeah because I know a lot of the immigrants they, they don't there's a trust issue which is you know to be expected and then of course there's the language issue so if we don't have workers going into the community that can that are bilingual you know and and can make these these immigrants feel less scared you know and, and it's reassured them that we're not turning your names into ice and you know all the other things that they're afraid of um i think that's probably one of the biggest hurdles you have yes yes and, yes. and that, that actually one other part of the response is um the community health centers in our area um are um you know thinking together about how do we roll out testing in a way where you know la clinica tiburcio vasquez um, Asian Health Services, you know, they, they actually have staff that live in these communities and can be trusted resources. And I think, you know, now is not a time to build trust. You just, you need to activate the trust that you already have. And we need to work with partners like those who are able to do that. So, I mean, certainly we're in contact, I'm in contact pretty regularly with Laura Miller, who is the um, Chief Medical Officer for the network of all the community clinics. And she and I have already had conversations about hey, if we're gonna really get testing in the communities that need testing, it's gonna have to be in languages people understand, by people they understand, like, no one's gonna show up at a big government facility to get a test. Um, so, you know. To also the Mien community that we have in Oakland, and they don't have a written language, you know, so um, I know that that's also a big concern. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they rely on pictures, and they rely on, you know, a, a little, one of their younger, uh, children that speak English should translate. You know, it's 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 very difficult for them. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate you raising that because it's it's on our minds every day. I, I would like to I would like to kind of um, kind of um, um, kind of latch on to something she was saying. Um, one of my concerns um, about the Latino community, especially migrant uh, migrant. Um, uh, people who tend to, of course, mostly be Latino, is um, one of the concerns I have is uh, what if any um, um, what if any position does uh, the hospital or our clinic will have uh, given our leadership, uh, mainly the President of the United States, regarding immigrants whereby uh, we protect them in the sense that um, we don't divulge information, general information about um, uh, the names and identities of, of people who are migrants uh, who need to be cared for 
who, if uh, given the powers that be, uh, were to disperse those people um, outside the United States or in other facilities in which um, the safeguards we have here are not available, which would only uh, simply um, spread the disease even further. Um, what kind of position, I, I, I know we're not supposed to be political, but um, it, it, there is a possibility that given what we know, given our current leadership, that it is possible that some of these people uh, could wind up in uh, situations um, in which they might be deported or be in a situation where they're in federal facilities or transferred to federal facilities uh, because they're undocumented. Uh, what are we doing to protect them so that uh, they don't actually spread the disease any further, uh, despite whatever uh, uh, federal government um, um, advice says about deporting such people? I know it's a big question, but... After you answer his question, Derek's got his hand up. So if you can call for Derek. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... I'm, I'm really happy to work in an institution that has, I think, maximized the prote protections we provide to um, immigrants, um, maximize the you know language um, access that we provide to immigrants. Um, I think Alameda Health System has been very, very strong on um, on uh, analyzing the impact of immigration policy on the health of the populations that we care for and ensuring that we do every last thing that we can do to minimize um, adverse health impacts on that population. And I, I know that um, we do not disclose information um, that, um, that we're allowed to not disclose that would be harmful. You know, I, I know that we've done that kind of review and, and I'm confident that we're not adding to any um, health challenges for this population that we don't have to. Oh. I think Derek, you had, Derek, you had your hand up next there. Um, what I what I wanted to say was that uh, I work closely with a lot of frontline activist groups, uh, uh, small CDOs, community-based organizations. We work directly with those uh, populations that you're talking about. I myself, I work uh, mostly East Oakland, but we do have uh, Nita B. She works with the Hispanic group and represents a lot of the Hispanic uh, folks out there, along with the uh, Pacific Islander, which she is, and she speaks the language, uh, along with uh, a lot of the other Asian folks. So uh, that, that could be a, a really good resource uh, because they're already trusted. And so uh, what information that we uh, 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 disperse amongst that population its belief. That's great. That's great. I'd, I'd love to hear from you, you know, offline, um, what you think we should be doing as a health system uh, to better serve folks. You know, if folks are actually coming here and receiving services that you're in touch with. Um, let us know. You know, it, it's more than more than listening to what I have to say. I, I you know, I want to actually hear um, um, more from that. And so uh, please definitely, you know, share with us, let us know what, what, um, what you think you would like to see here and, and you know, we'll, we'll figure out what's doable, what's possible.
Absolutely, because I work with a lot of the folks uh, here in East Oakland. Uh, I have tried to navigate 37 individuals, and thus far, I have zero that have been placed into uh, the hotels that meet the, both criteria. In fact, one now has ended up there at Highland Hospital and not expected to survive. So uh, he, was, he was on that waiting list. Um, and so that's how dire and critical that is, that I've been uh, trying to get folks in and have had zero success. Yeah, just underscores the urgency of really doing everything we can do. So please, please, any good ideas that you hear, um, share them. We're still here. We're just checking to see if it's time to move on. Neha, are we ready for number E? I think so. I think uh, all the discussion on this agenda item is done. Okay. So we can move to your report, Heather. Hey, thank you so much. And if you have... If you can put yourselves on mute while I'm talking, that would help. All right, we got it. Um, so, uh, you know, even though we've had a significant change in the way that we do our work lately, the mobile health team has still been active in the community and been able to provide um, 72 clinical patient encounters for the month of March. And March is really when the COVID-19 activity began and when we really had to change our schedule and start to do things differently, including now um, mobile health is even doing telephone visits with some of our shelters where the patients are pretty consistent that we see regularly. And so they have a, a good relationship with Wanda, our nurse practitioner, and are quite comfortable doing telephone encounters with her. Um, in addition, there have been 73 enabling patient encounters. And I just want to remind you of how that works. So the clinical encounters are provided by our nurse practitioner and the enabling services are provided by our community health outreach workers. And typically those enabling services may include um, specific tangible resources, things like gift cards, bus passes, food, clothing, they can also be connections and services, so scheduling follow-up appointments and making sure that that patient was able to attend that follow-up appointment or a referral to um, services with Project Open Hand and making sure that they've made the connection with Project Open, Open Hand. So those are the enabling services encounters. Um, Often those enabling services encounters will have a few more than our regular encounters and that's because a patient might come to see us and only request an enabling service and not request a clinical encounter, especially for patients who maybe we see regularly or even for patients who aren't quite ready to come in for a clinical visit. That's typically why we have the discrepancy in those two numbers. Some of the other stuff we're working on, you'll notice that we've changed um, the title for our third bullet point which now says quality and it's because we want to talk to you more about quality at Alameda Health System. Um, it's still the same general topic. Right now our quality is often driven by our data systems and in this case in that bullet we're just highlighting that we're continuing to do work in our data system. It's still problematic and especially with the uh, 
activities around COVID-19, some of our work to forward the validity of the data in our system has been delayed uh, because so much work of our IT system has been going towards the COVID-19 pandemic. But it's not, that doesn't mean it's not moving at all. It's just moving more slowly. I actually noticed today that the, um, the children's watch screening questions are in Epic. That was the first time I'd seen that. A perfect example of how things move forward even when things are delayed. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. And uh, we are working on those children watch questions. The children watch questions that Damon's referring to are the health, uh, homeless security screening. So how is your housing? Is it stable or non-stable? And whether or not you're at risk for homelessness or currently experiencing homelessness. Mm -hmm. And we'll be launching that in our system um, shortly, especially now that it's available in Epic. Um, some of the other things that are happening, I know that we talked recently about our Foundation Gala and that the mobile health program is the highlight of our Foundation Gala. And that is still the case, even though the Foundation, Foundation Gala has been postponed. So it's been postponed until fall or winter. We will be getting a new date as soon as it's secured. And it's still, we are still the featured program. And there is a lot of fundraising that's still happening by our foundation to support work for people experiencing homelessness. And now the focus has been a little bit more on how people experiencing homelessness are coping with the COVID-19 pandemic. And so we've been working with them to create those stories and also to provide some context with what our team has been doing. Um, I just made a note that um, Dr. Francis already talked a little bit about what, what was going on with how our system is managing the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's, it's noted here, but you've already heard about it through his presentation um, as medical director. Does anybody have any questions? None for me. Heather, I have a question. Go for it. Um, does the mobile van um, also provide service for DV patients or victims? Or do you see that? We certainly see um, victims of violence on the mobile unit. We do not currently work with um, shelter, any specific shelter that is that targets people who are victims of or survivors of domestic violence, but they are part of part of the the population that we serve. That you serve, yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. I think, Neha, you're up for calling for public comment. Okay, sounds good. Uh, so, Brenda, do you know if we have any public comments? Um, no. No. Okay, sounds good. So, I don't think we have any public comments for this session. Are there any comments by any of the co-applicant board members? Uh, I, no, I don't have it. 
Okay, sounds good. I assume that's a no for everyone. Yes, it's a no. Thank you. Okay, and so in that case, then I will. We can adjourn the meeting at six forty-three p.m. Tuesday, April fourteenth. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.